Certainly in the early days of this conflict, NATO, the NATO alliance, has become more unified and perhaps in a way more relevant. The NATO alliance, I, I think, uh, you know, a couple of points, it's been looking for some purpose. And there have been questions asked really since the turn of the century, maybe even since the end of the Cold War. Is NATO still relevant? What is the future of NATO? And I think more recently, uh, certainly during the Donald Trump years, that alliance was rather frayed. The previous U.S. president made no secret of his um, disdain for those kinds of international alliances and uh, certainly seemed to be setting the stage potentially for an American withdrawal from NATO, which I think would have been uh, devastating from a Canadian perspective. So things have very much changed. Uh, the new U.S. president very much committed to the NATO alliance, and certainly it has come together in a very strong way since the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine. Even now, countries like Finland, which had previously made a point of staying out of NATO, are reconsidering that and perhaps might even join the alliance. There is the broader question as to whether uh, Ukraine could come out of all of this as a member of NATO. Would it get to that point? So a lot of questions about what this all means for the alliance, and I suppose part of that depends on how this all plays out in Ukraine. Interesting op-ed in the Globe and Mail this week on what this all means to Ukraine's future from former Canadian ambassador to NATO, Kerry Buck, now a senior fellow with the School of Public and International Affairs uh, at the University of Ottawa, joins us uh, on the line here this morning. Kerry Buck, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Uh, in terms of, you know, NATO's relevance, has this situation maybe changed that, that equation? I know NATO's looked for some, some purpose and some relevance uh, in, in the recent decades, but what, what are your thoughts on where that, that question stands now? Well, I think in a perverse way, the thing that Vladimir Putin wanted least was to strengthen right. NATO, and he's achieved that uh, <laughs> in spite mm -hmm. of uh, his desires. He's achieved it. So, uh, NATO defense plans have been activated for the first time for collective defense. More troops, planes, and ships are moving into eastern states in the alliance. NATO and the EU are working hand-in-hand in, hand in a way that hasn't been uh, in a much closer way than has ever been the case. Finland and Sweden, as you said, are considering um, actively considering their membership. And in many ways, we've seen uh, U.S. leadership reasserted. So, you know, NATO is stronger and NATO consensus and unity is uh, unshakable, I think, right now. But not to give you too much history, but people, <laughs> the earliest I could find of a question about NATO's relevance was two years after the NATO treaty was uh, signed. Yeah. You know, people have been saying NATO is, isn't periodically saying NATO isn't rele relevant anymore uh, throughout NATO's entire history. But NATO keeps being reinvented and it's not because, you know, NATO members seek to reinvent, it's because events happen. Events happen mm -hmm. where Western allies need to respond. Um, so, you know, NATO history, yeah, there was some fraying during the Trump presidency, but honestly, uh, NATO solidarity and consensus, I was there at the time, NATO solidarity and consensus uh, withstood that. Yeah, I, and I mean, obviously, we'll never know what, uh, you know, a reelected President Trump would have done. I mean, there was some concern that maybe he was serious about taking the U.S. out of NATO. And, you know, who knows if the alliance could have survived that. From Canada's perspective, you know, I think there's always been value to Canada, certainly in, in this alliance, that we had a vested interest in preserving this alliance. What, what has it meant to Canada, in your view? Um, well, first off, I'm not with the Canadian government anymore, so I'm speaking from my own experience. Yeah, absolutely. My own, absolutely. Um, you know, Canada 
NATO was actually a Canadian idea at the beginning. First time it was mentioned was at a conference in Kuchiching. And um, then Canada was part of the group of three that secretly drafted the first treaty. So a lot of it was Canadian. And the thing we pushed for at the time was a really structured body. One of the options on the table at the time was just a U.S. uh, unilateral uh, security guarantee for Europe. So no treaty, no structure, no secretariat. And we pushed hard for a treaty. Why? Lester Pearson said at the time that, you know, while we had to follow U.S. and U.K. lead during the war, um, it was inconceivable in post-war architecture that we'd do the same. So we really wanted a structured body where we had a voice and a veto, and we achieved that. And I think it's been really important for Canada um, throughout the years. And we've ended up participating in one way or the other, contributing in one way or the other to every single uh, NATO mission. So it's important to us. Uh, it amplifies our power, our voice. Um, it gives us a space to build up new partners with the expansion of NATO. So I'd say it's pretty core to our foreign policy. And that is uh, goes no matter what political strike we have in power. As you note in your piece, only about 6% of Russia's border actually touches NATO. But clearly, this is a real focus for Vladimir Putin. What is it about NATO that that Vladimir Putin views as such a threat? I actually think the threat is the democratization of Ukraine. I think that's the thing motivating President Putin. Mm -hmm. The worst thing for him is to see a democratic, vibrant, democratic, economically prosperous Ukraine on his borders because it provides a really attractive model and one that he's not delivering to his own people. I personally think that his arguments about NATO, NATO expansion being the cause of this, are revisionist history. Um, there's an old Soviet saying, the future is certain, it's only the past that's unpredictable, and that's what he's done. And I actually went through previous interviews with Vladimir Putin with previous Russian leadership. And, you know, in the early days, um, their approach to NATO expansion was pretty sanguine, saying things like, you know, at the end of the day, the decision is between NATO and its partner, et cetera, et cetera. And even Gorbachev came up out and said publicly this whole idea that there were promises not to expand NATO is a myth. So revisionist history, and as I said, I think the real problem or the real motivator is the um, very alluring model, attractive model of Ukraine uh, as it uh, really built its democracy and its economy over the last few years. Well, I mean, you look at what Estonia and, and Latvia have become, and you look at what Belarus has become. I mean, it's it's pretty yeah. clear Putin Putin wants uh, Ukraine to follow the latter. And and the thing is that you know I, I also looked at some of the history when former Soviet Union states were uh, coming out from under the uh, after the, the the fall of the FSU. Um, you know, there wasn't a lot of reaching in and proselytizing to get those states to join the EU and NATO. They sought that out. And in the early days, NATO, in a way, was kind of like a path to get into the EU because, you know, economic movement of people, free movement of people, pretty attractive for those states. So they were reaching out to the West to join those Western models. And that's continued to this day. I don't know to what extent it was ever on the table or ever seriously entertained uh, with regard to Ukraine joining NATO. 
um, coming out of this, I, I, maybe you know, if, if Ukraine manages to 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 expel the the Russians, maybe that changes the conversation. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, it could do. Um, there there was a serious marker put down at the Bucharest summit, and I think that was two thousand and eight, where you'll see the NATO summit document. So that's the meeting from leaders, right, mm-hmm. saying that Ukraine and Georgia will become members, and the next step, and it started to spell out the next steps. But the challenge is that that was um, put in the document, but there wasn't absolute support uh, across the alliance. There was enough support to let it go forward. So uh, Ukraine's uh, movement toward membership, kind of structurally following those steps, hasn't been as fast as some Ukrainian leaders have wanted. But the other fact is that there's, there was some serious work Ukraine had to do. They didn't have a uh, civilian defense minister, for instance. They didn't have sufficient infrastructure to ensure that there was, you know, military. This is at the beginning, military justice that met NATO standards, et cetera, and their troops mm-hmm. hadn't been trained. So the training that's been done by Canada and others, the steps that Ukraine's taken to improve the capacity and the oversight of its military had put it much farther along the path of uh, NATO membership. They weren't there yet before uh, Vladimir Putin invaded. Um, But I think what happens over the next few weeks or months will be really telling. Interesting that the EU has voted to fast track their application there. Mm -hmm. Well, and as you explained in your your op-ed, I mean, obviously, Russian success in Ukraine uh, very much is is a threat to NATO. And look, I mean, if, if Putin attacks a NATO member. I mean, if, you know, he sets his sights on, on Estonia or, or Latvia, then obviously that's going to represent, uh, well, an enormous threat to global security, clearly, but certainly a direct threat to NATO. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and there are other things short of territorial incursions that could trigger Article 5, but they're harder to figure out, right? Cyber attack mm-hmm. to critical infrastructure, etc. But, you know, no one knows where this is going to go. It's a really dangerous period right now. It could be a short war, like the Russians are hoping, where they, they, they move in massive more troops and air power and, you know, establish a puppet government. It could be a long war, a long siege, a lot more civilian casualties. Um, it could be a European war, as you mentioned. If there's some heat, Russia could move troops into Moldova, Georgia. It could um, There could be a territorial incursion into NATO territory. Or there could be a diplomatic solution. And I note that uh, the two sides are meeting again today on the Belarusian, um, Belarusian um, Ukraine border. Um, at this stage, they'd only be talking about ceasefire to allow talks to continue. But, you know, I hope there's something there. My um, optimism is, uh, yeah, maybe it's misplaced, but... Well, certainly what we're hearing about this phone call this morning with uh, Macron and Putin does does not bode well. But as you say, we'll we'll hope for the best. We'll leave it there. Really do appreciate your insight on all of this. Thanks so much for making some time for us here today. Thanks very much. All right. All the best. Uh, That is Kerry Buck, uh, senior fellow at the uh, School of Public and International Affairs, University of Ottawa, and was Canada's ambassador to NATO.